0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: Tortoise. Hi, it's Basha here, and you're listening to the slow newscast from Tortoise. This week, a story of corruption and cartels. South Africa is one of the richest countries on the African continent, but for a very long time now, it's been struggling to keep the lights on. Across the country, there have been blackouts for up to 10 hours a day, and they happen almost daily now. The streets are plunged into darkness at night, and not even the traffic lights work. And that means that shops, businesses, houses, they all just have to pause, and the economy just becomes stuck. Why? Well, to understand that, you need to understand the story of a man who tried to fix it and was almost assassinated for it. It's a story that starts and ends with one company called Eskom, And my colleague Jeevan Vasagar, the climate editor here at Tortoise, has spent weeks investigating where and why it all went wrong for ESCOM. Over to Jeevan.
3: It's near seen, a big city at night, All of a sudden there's a blackout plunging the neighbourhood into inky darkness. The streetlights, the traffic lights, all off. Only car headlights illuminate the scene. This is footage of Johannesburg at night, taken earlier this year. Drivers shoot through intersections where traffic lights have gone out. They risk a collision, but are, perhaps, too afraid to slow down because of the risk of carjacking. There's no one visible on the street, no one in the restaurants total shutdown. This is South Africa in 2023, one of the richest and most advanced countries on the continent, and it's facing some of the worst power cuts in its history, leading some people to question whether the state itself is on the brink of collapse. Last year, there were 200 days of load shedding. That's a euphemism for a planned blackout that can take everything offline for up to 10 hours a day. A generation ago, South Africa was a symbol of hope for the whole world, for its peaceful transition from the racist oppression of apartheid to majority rule under Nelson Mandela. Now it's a symbol of something else. At the heart of what's going wrong is a power company called Eskom, a business that many claim is being looted by criminal cartels. A fossil fuel powered giant that's holding back South Africa's transition to renewable energy. A state utility that can't keep the lights on.
4: It affects everything. It affects everybody's everyday life.
5: Traffic is slow. Network is terrible. The refrigerators break down increasingly. Food usually rots.
4: Everything has got very high levels of security, all dependent on electricity. So when you have load shedding, the whole area will suddenly go down and then be vulnerable.
5: Not every hospital has, has a generator. Many departments of the government are closed, closed down, um, sometimes for days.
6: Restaurants are not working, ATMs are not working, so it's just horrid.
5: Without
3: power, factories shut down and restaurants turn away customers. Supermarkets switch to generators, but the cost of diesel makes that impossible for small businesses. As the economy slows, few new jobs are being created. South Africa's unemployment rate is 33% one of the highest in the world. It's a nation running on fumes.
7: Where we live with a a little app that tells us exactly when there will be load shedding or power cuts.
3: The power cuts now are so routine there's even an app.
7: In my area, the electricity is out at the moment. I look at my mum's, she'll be off from 8 to 1230 And then I keep my godmothers on here, and she's really been struggling because she loves cooking. So she's off from 4 to 6.30. Then I've got my uncles and I've got other places. And this is now how most South Africans run their lives and schedule things, schedule their meetings, schedule their travels, um, schedule their home lives is with this app.
3: South Africa's story of hope has become a story of survival. Running through it like a seam through a layer of rock is coal. The fuel that built South Africa, powered apartheid, and is now a source of wealth for South Africa's post-apartheid elite. ESCOM has 14 power stations that run on coal, providing nearly all of South Africa's power. But the company has been short of money to service them as it struggles to collect the billions it's owed by municipalities.
8: And what they did was to run the existing power stations exceedingly hard. Now, that's akin to buying a good motor car and running it all the time without putting in any oil, without servicing or doing anything that's required. And then, heave-ho, you end up with a few breakdowns. And that's exactly where we are.
3: As its power stations fail, ESCOM has been forced to buy diesel to keep going. But now it's running out of money to do that. They have little choice except to impose power cuts. He's
2: making headlines, Eskom says that stage four load shedding will continue to be implemented until further notice. Well, many disgruntled citizens have taken to social media to vent their rage as load shedding appears to get worse with each a passing day. It's warned of stage seven blackouts.
7: Beleaguered power supplier Eskom escalated power cuts to stage six indefinitely last week.
3: And the company's problems don't stop there. The accusation is that, like South Africa itself, ESCOM is being eaten away by corruption.
5: ESCOM represents a ground zero of corruption in South Africa. We're talking about literally tens of billions of dollars who are flowing through through ESCOM's accounts every year. If you're corrupt, if you want to make a quick buck, ESCOM is one of the best places anywhere in the world.
3: Fixing a mess like this was never going to be easy. One man tried. It nearly cost him his life.
9: Uh, We've definitely started closing the taps. And that doesn't make you any friends. Um, It's difficult to speculate on who might have wanted to make an attempt on my life. Uh, But the people with with motive, clearly, uh, there's there's a pretty long list.
3: I'm Jeevan Varsagar. From Tortoise, this is the Slow Newscast. Blackout, coal, corruption and cyanide.
7: Just to go to the actual poisoning incident. Talk me through that morning.
9: Yeah, so it was a very uh, interesting day <clears throat> on the 12th of
3: December. It's Monday the 12th of December and Andre de Rater, the CEO of South Africa's vast state-run power company, ESCOM, is meeting the chairman of the board at a country club north of Johannesburg. He's meant to be having his appraisal, but instead Andre de Rater slides a letter of resignation across the table. When Andre de Reto was appointed to run the company in 2019, he was the 13th chief executive to lead ESCOM in a decade. He's tried to turn the company around since then, get it to produce more energy from renewables and collect more of the money it's owed. But he's run into serious opposition. After resigning, he drives the short distance to Megawatt Park, ESCOM's concrete, brutalist-style headquarters.
9: And then uh, I asked my... Um, P.A. um, for a cup of coffee. Uh, She knows I'm a caffeine addict, so she keeps them coming.
3: It turns out to be a fateful cup of coffee.
9: My my P.A. Zodwa, she left the mug there at at the coffee machine unattended and uh, came and told me that the machine was broken and could she make me instant coffee. By the time that she got back, the machine had been repaired and a coffee was then presented to me. I then drank this coffee and didn't notice anything amiss.
3: It's only after 15 or 20 minutes that he begins to suspect all is not right.
9: I started feeling uh, extremely nauseous and uh, off balance. Um, I became very confused. I was sitting opposite a colleague and I couldn't find the word for a power station. Uh, I said, it's a filling station, it's a petrol station, but I, for the life of me, I couldn't find the word for a power station. And um, I, I also started to yawn, uh, lack of oxygen. I started gasping for air, um, I, was, I was panting. Uh, and then I said, no, there's something, there's something wrong here. I need to get to a doctor quickly. When he gets
3: to the hospital, Andre Dereta asks for toxicology tests.
9: At that stage, I was shaking um, badly. I was literally lying like this and, and uh, shaking, gasping for air. Uh, so the doctor was, was running up and down, and one of his colleagues called him over and said, what's wrong with that guy? And he said, well, we don't know, we're running tests. And the, his colleague told him, I've seen this before, this is cyanide poisoning.
3: It's later confirmed to be a mixture of cyanide and sodium arsenide, which is a rat poison. He's put on a nutrient and vitamin drip, nicknamed Jet Fuel, because it's a bright yellow colour.
9: Sorry if this gets a bit too graphic, but then I vomited very, very copiously, uh, which was a good thing. Uh, I was also put on a drip uh, with Jet Fuel. Now, jet Fuel is just very high vitamin B. And I think inadvertently, the doctor who prescribed this uh, probably saved my life by, by doing that because vitamin B binds with the cyanide molecule.
3: Andre de survives the attack on his life. But his attempted murder shines a light on just how much he's up against.
5: What I do know is that there were several attempts of certain politicians in Pumalanga which is the province in South Africa where most of these power stations are based.
3: This is Branko Brukic, editor-in-chief of The Daily Maverick, an online news site with a great track record of breaking stories about corruption.
5: There were several attempts on at the murder which matched exactly the same. Uh, they had exactly the same modus operandi. It did look um, to us very much the favorite method that was used for the enemies of certain President of a certain country that attract another certain country. You have to understand that that South Africa is uh, right now um, is swinging towards towards Russia and China in a in a shockingly open way that overwhelming majority of South Africa is not supporting. You know, one thing has to be understood is the influence of Russia in state security agency of South Africa over, over many decades. Uh, it, it it is very easy to connect some some dots. Yeah, let, let let me stay there, you know, before before I get sued.
3: Two months after his attempted murder, Andre Deretter gives an explosive interview to South African television station, ENCA, and suggests there are four crime cartels focused on ESCOM.
9: So these four cartels are quite sophisticated as far as we can tell. They are well organized. It's interesting that they've adopted the language of the mafia, so people are called soldiers, and uh, they have a head squad, uh, allegedly between 60 and 70, highly trained, well-armed people, and people get assassinated in Mpumalanga. Every week there's there's pretty much an assassination. So it's it's deeply entrenched.
7: What he, I think, found impossible to do was to dislodge all the various mafia which sit in the system.
3: Ferial Hafaji is a journalist and author who has written extensively about corruption in South Africa.
7: Our public enterprises minister described it as termites eating at each part of the system. And as I read the documents, I feel like that is indeed um, what has happened at ESCOM. And, and dislodging them um, is has proven extremely difficult. What
3: exactly is the mafia doing within the power system, Ferial?
7: So ESCOM buys 70 billion rand worth of coal every year. I think that's the the latest number I have. That's a hell of a lot of money. That coal has to be transported. So the hauling of coal is is one area where it happens.
3: Ferial is taking me through the various ways that organised crime gangs disrupt the power supply in South Africa. This first one, is what's known as coal fraud, and it involves lorries full of high-quality South African coal being diverted to so-called black sites. At the black sites, the good coal is taken off the lorries to be illegally sold abroad.
7: Um, now, largely to Europe, which was shoring up energy supplies because of Ukraine war and because of Russia shutting off the gas, so people
3: were. Remember that the price of coal shot up last year because everyone was worried that it might be hard to get coal and other fossil fuels from Russia.
7: Also a lot of it to power the still ongoing industrial revolution in China, and then a lot of it also to India.
3: And what ends up at the Eskom power plants in its place? A mix of poorer quality coal mixed in with sand and black stones. In a coal-fired power plant, A coal mill is used to grind the coal down before it's blown into a furnace to generate heat, which in turn creates steam, which turns the turbines. But if you put stones into a coal mill, it breaks down, and without its supply of coal dust, the power station goes offline. Then there's sabotage, literally a spanner in the works, that can lead to a lucrative repair contract.
9: So if there is a contractor who gets paid a pittance, to do cleaning or whatever the case may be. To pay someone like that 5,000 rand. That's about 200 pounds. To walk past a gearbox with a screwdriver and just with a sharp jab, knock out the sight glass where you can check the oil level. The gearbox oil then drains and the gearbox fails and somebody who's got a maintenance contract is then called out.
3: Because the repair contract is worth more to the supplier than the smooth running of the power station. The problem isn't just that most of ESCOM's coal plants are ageing, it's that they're actively being damaged by crime. The end result is what South Africans call load shedding, basically rolling, scheduled power cuts that affect businesses like Thando Mokubu's.
6: The best-selling ice creams, I would say, is the chocolate overload, it's vanilla ice cream with some chocolate sauce and some hazelnuts. And then it's closely followed by Caramel Canyon, which is a caramel-flavoured ice cream with some uh, caramel fudge. And then after that, we have Planet Sweetness, which is this one on my t-shirt. It's got cookies, it's got sweets. It's just gorgeous.
3: Thando runs the Soweto Creamery out of his mom's house. We serve the best ice cream in
6: South Africa. We have two chest freezers and one upright freezer. And then two of the chest uh, freezers... Uh, house. I'm trying to count. Oh, it's a lot. It's like maybe plus minus 300 litres of ice cream, excluding ice cream lollies. So it's a lot of ice cream.
3: A lot of ice cream to lose.
6: So at this point, load shading is really affecting us badly, like terribly. Uh, there was a point where we didn't have electricity for like three days, and it was really frustrating for us. So we decided that we need to invest in a generator and avoid stock loss.
3: Johannesburg, South Africa's biggest city, was built on a gold rush. It's far from any source of water. There's no coast, no lake, no river. But around half the gold that was mined in human history came from the mines nearby. It was coal that provided the power that those mines needed. Eskom built the coal-fired stations that drove mines, industry and powered households. But just the white ones. Under apartheid, only around one-third of the population was connected to the grid. And while remote white farming communities had access to power, few black townships did. It was deliberately unequal. The majority of the men who worked in the mines were black paid less than their white counterparts and housed in Spartan, segregated compounds. Dan Marks is an energy security research fellow at the Royal United Services Institute. There's arguments that it was the
10: coal-gold industrial nexus that, that basically created apartheid, certainly created the conditions for apartheid in South Africa. And, you know, the economics of that industry have propelled the South African economy ever since, and you know, not, not in a very healthy direction
3: a lot of the time. But with the end of apartheid came optimism. In
7: 1994, I was a journalist who had covered the end, kind of the death throes of apartheid, um, and then I was a very hopeful and excited journalist who covered the first years of freedom.
3: And the extension of electricity to people who'd never had it before was part of that.
7: Black people were by design excluded by electrification. So you saw a massive electrification drive. Um, I covered the turning on of the first taps for people who'd never had water in their rural homes. Um, The first public housing built, the first one million homes built for people.
3: Tara O'Connor remembers it too. I'm the founder
4: and managing director of a company called Africa Risk Consulting. And I do advisory work, um, political advisory investigations to corporates operating across Africa, from Cape to Cairo. You know, there was, there was a huge explosion of optimism when Mandela and, uh, took over and then carried on into Thabo and Becky's time.
3: And Eskom had grand plans.
4: ESCOM had a division called ESCOM International, which went around the whole of this, the continent um, saying, you know, you don't need to, the rest of the continent doesn't really need to develop its energy infrastructure. We've got an abundance of, uh, of electricity. We will be able to roll out and light up. And they had adverts showing the lighting up of the whole continent by ESCOM.
3: It didn't quite pan out that way. The extension of electricity to black communities was one of the fastest electrification projects in history. But many of these municipalities struggled to pay and defaulted on their accounts. The ANC government and the mining industry agreed to extend ownership of the mines to black South Africans. Coal became one of the biggest success stories of black economic empowerment and ESCOM introduced a policy of buying coal only from mines that were majority black-owned. It was a move that looked as if it righted some of the injustices of apartheid, but it also set the scene for corruption on a massive scale. During Mandela's time as president, South Africa was the emblem of racial reconciliation. After him, it became synonymous with sleaze.
4: The extent and breadth of that corruption has been... Mind blowing. I think Suru Ramaphosa, the current president, talks in trillions of Rand being stolen from mainly state owned enterprises. And at the heart of that was ESCOM. So inflated contracts would be distributed to people who may have political or other connections but not um, have the capacity to either provide the service that was offered. So you had people without qualifications getting construction contracts for new power stations or maintenance contracts for existing power stations
7: they got rid of skilled people really quickly the utility then that had so successfully extended electrification to the black majority of our country then was repurposed to serve the interests of only a small number of people and the system just got weaker and weaker and weaker through underinvestment
3: Meanwhile, the supply of power was failing to keep up with soaring demand. A lot of the the electricity crisis in South Africa and the real kind of
10: destruction of ESCOM was in the failure of two absolutely giant
3: coal projects, two of the biggest in the world, Madupi and Kusile. In 2007, the government commissioned two giant coal power stations, Kusile and Madupi, which had finance from the World Bank.
10: But there were design problems. There were questions about irregularities. There was massive labour issues. There have been project management issues. And these, these projects have ended up costing you know, two or three times the amount that they originally intended to cost. And they also don't work. Madupi is, in theory, completely online, but it, I think it produces
3: something like 40, 50 percent of its capacity. The two power stations still aren't functioning properly.
1: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.
5: Well, it came to the point that they needed to bring the outsider. Because that's the sector itself... The reputation has been damaged for years of of corruption, of incompetence.
3: Andre DeReta had no background in the power business, and he'd never worked in a role where he answered directly to government ministers. He's a white South African businessman who'd been chief executive of NAMPAC, a packaging company. As an outsider, he was in a position to offer radical solutions.
5: You know, they need to bring somebody from outside who was not a part of any any clique, any any kind of faction. And... Who's got a solid management experience? Do you
3: think he did an effective job when he started? Did he tackle the corruption?
5: Yeah, he he tackled the corruption, but what he what he did tell me that he probably underestimated the level of corruption, and I think we all of us underestimated the the level of of energy that the corrupt circles will actually come back with.
3: Andre Durato likens the corruption within Escom to a cancer that has gone untreated.
9: So it has just metastasized, and it's now grown throughout the entire body of the organisation. Everywhere there is resistance to implementing controls, to conducting investigations, to implementing disciplinary action. And that realisation, I think, as we've uncovered more and more and more, uh, that has just become clearer, that the rot was much worse than... I anticipated when I took the job.
3: ESCOM didn't respond to a request for comment. Andre de Rater understood there was an obvious solution to South Africa's power problems, a way of generating electricity that is cheaper than coal and much harder to steal, the power that comes from the sun and the wind. But shifting South Africa to renewable energy wasn't going to be easy. South Africa is addicted to coal. It provides 77% of its power. No country in the world gets as much of its energy from this fossil fuel. It's even turned into a kind of petrol, using a technique invented under the apartheid government to help them withstand boycotts. Compared to oil and gas, coal produces much more CO2 for the power it generates. South Africa produces 450 million tonnes of emissions every year, making it one of the world's biggest emitters of greenhouse gases. ESCOM's coal-fired power plants contribute nearly half of that total. It's like, yes, yeah, South Africa's a big emitter. It has been historically, but who's, to whose benefit
10: was, was that? It certainly wasn't, you know, the black community in, in South Africa.
3: Getting countries in the developing world to quit coal is critical to preventing climate change reaching dangerous levels. It's in the world's interests, but it's also in South Africa's interests. The country has plentiful wind and sun, And Western governments say they're keen to help.
9: I think we can say that the end of coal is in sight. We are publishing the Global Coal to Clean Power Transition Statement, a commitment to end coal investment, to scale up clean power, to make a just transition.
0: The start of the week was pretty crazy here at COP26. Several countries agreed to help South Africa transition from its use of coal to renewable energy.
3: Uh, Two years ago, at COP26, the UN climate talks held in Glasgow, the US, the UK and other Western countries clubbed together to offer $8.5 billion to help South Africa shift to clean energy. The idea was that South Africa could put the money towards shutting down its coal-fired plants, replacing them with wind and solar. Workers in the coal industry would also be helped to find new jobs it was called the Just Energy Transition Partnership, JETP for short. A former government official told me that Andre DeReta was crucial to the deal. He believed in it and invested a lot in making it happen. Andre de Reiter had a plan. He wanted to use international funding to get ESCOM off coal. South Africa's oldest coal power station, Kamati, would be the first to be switched off and converted into a renewable generation site solar, wind and battery storage. South Africa would also need to build transmission lines to the west of the country, the windiest part, but far away from the big cities in the east. He wanted to break Ascom up. Rather than have a single company generating, transmitting and distributing power, the business would be broken into parts. There would be opportunities for the private sector to feed electricity into the grid. The $8.5 billion pledged at COP is key to this, except…
5: We are failing to actually um, close the deal on our side.
3: And is that because people are so worried by what they've seen happening to ESCOM?
5: Well, people have eyes and people have ears and people can read, you know, so… One of the things you need to just look at is you need to look at uh, um, different disinformation campaigns within South Africa's social networks. So one of the disinformation campaigns is pushing this um, notion that nuclear is African, coal is African, and renewables is colonial. Because, um, you know, nuclear is in, in Russian interests and uh, coal is in the interest of, of senior ANC people.
3: Even though mining is the, um, is the business with a colonial history?
5: Uh, of colonial history, but big chunk of it now is in the hands of people who have a deep, deep connections with the ANC and uh, quite a few Russian Russian investors as well.
3: Left-wing populists also say the green transition is a colonialist takeover.
6: The most rubbish and the most nonsensical thing that was ever done in South Africa. Is that COP26 deal which was signed by Sarah Ramakosa because it's in the pockets of the West. They're controlling him. They're using
4: him to control the entire African continent.
3: Others are fighting to protect the coal industry.
4: With Mineral Resources and Energy Minister Gwede Mantashe has called on coal producers to defend their industry, which he says is currently under siege. now
3: Mantashe has told a gathering of coal miners that production of coal will remain with South Africa beyond 2030. The energy minister is warning that the transition away from fossil fuels will cost thousands of jobs. The truth is that the 8.5 billion pledged at COP is a fraction of what's needed. And if the money comes through as loans rather than grants, it will just increase South Africa's debt burden. Khaled Kachalia is an opposition politician who is the son of distinguished anti apartheid activists. He's shadow minister for public enterprises and he thinks the energy transition in South Africa needs to be delayed.
8: Yes, I think we need to be cut some slack so that we can eventually transition into the environmentally friendly environment that many of the developing nations want us to. But in the interim, we must be allowed to deal with the problems we have. The funds that they've intend to put down on the table, it's not been put down on the table yet, is uh, a small amount in the scheme of things, to be a catalyzer.
3: But if it's hard to pull this off in South Africa, an advanced economy which can draw on the goodwill generated by Mandela's memory, what chance is there for less developed countries? The Jet-P was meant to be a model for other countries, it's turning into a cautionary tale. You could argue that renewables are a luxury, that South Africa just needs to fix its power problem urgently. But this is a country that's already suffering from the impact of climate change.
5: We in South Africa, climate crisis is, is, is changing the weather patterns. So the eastern parts of South Africa are now getting incredible amount of rain, incredible amount of water, where the western parts are getting drier and drier. So the water crisis, unfortunately, in the places where they have plenty of water, the water infrastructure is falling apart. Port Elizabeth, which is now called Quebeja, is essentially without the water for, for the last six months.
3: By the end of 2022, the pressure on Andre de Raita was ramping up. In early December, the energy minister Gwede Mantache made an extraordinary accusation.
6: So ESCOM, by not attending to low shedding, is actively agitating for the overthrow of the state.
3: With that claim, by not attending to load shedding, ESCOM is agitating to overthrow the state, the energy minister was effectively accusing Andre de Reta of treason for failing to stop the power cuts. When the ANC didn't publicly support him, he resigned. <laughs> to keep an electrical system running smoothly, grid frequency needs to stay at a constant level in South Africa, as in the UK, that frequency is 50 hertz. If demand outstrips supply, say a power station goes offline, then the frequency falls. To keep the system working, demand has to be reduced. That's what load shedding is. If the frequency slumps and it isn't stabilised, the grid can collapse.
9: So total collapse of the grid is when the frequency of the grid uh, goes from 50 hertz to 48, 47, 46 hertz and below. So the frequency of the grid is like the heartbeat. If that frequency is lost, we will then have to restart with great effort uh, using certain black start facilities, our pumped hydro storage schemes, and working very closely with some of our key customers to essentially kickstart the entire system. And this will take Two three weeks to do.
3: South Africa's heart could fail. Not a planned shutdown, but a total collapse. It could take days or weeks to restore power... ...with looting and civil unrest. It could affect everything from the telecoms network... ...to water supplies, which need power for pumping. The government says it won't happen, it won't be allowed to happen... ...but many South Africans are preparing for the worst...
4: You could have flights not being able to leave. Certainly, you know, the entire city's grid networks won't work. So you don't have traffic controls, electric traffic controls. Um, Exports would probably shut down. Uh, Ports, how would ports work? Mines, if you don't have an alternative source of power. South Africa is hugely reliant on mines. Mines are hugely reliant on power.
3: If it happens, it will be crime that stops South Africa's heart beating.
8: One of the plants, Tutuka, the chap who runs the plant, goes to work every day in a bulletproof vest. This is not normal.
3: And he has a valid reason to be afraid.
8: Well, because his life has been threatened in the past and because people whom he works with, who he has placed his faith in, have been attacked.
3: In his now famous TV interview, Andre Dereto was asked, Is ESCOM a feeding trough for the ANC?
9: I would say the evidence suggests that it is. I expressed my concern to a senior government minister about um, attempts, in my view, to water down governance around the 8.5 billion US dollars that, by and large, through ESCOM's intervention, we got. Uh, at COP26, mm. and uh, the response was um, essentially, you know, you have to be pragmatic, you have to, uh, in order to pursue the greater good, you have to enable some people to to eat a little bit. So yes, it is, I think, entrenched.
3: Andre de Rater said he had raised concerns about one particular high-level politician, but his concerns were dismissed by the government. The opposition politician Haleb Kachalia believes such corruption has become embedded in the system.
8: A political system which said, yes, you can actually steal a little bit as long as you give unto Caesar what is due to Caesar. And this has been the modus operandi of the current government for many years.
3: The payments, the kickbacks, the turning a blind eye they were all accepted, expected even, so a small number of people could become very rich.
5: Ooh, um, it's it's shocking. These are the people who live in places that have no roads, or the roads are so potholed that you can't drive with them, and yet they buy Lamborghinis. You know, these are the people who um, bathe themselves in champagne. You know, whilst their own communities. Are struggling and have you know quite often struggling to eat to, to to have enough enough food on the table. These are common criminals who found that the best way to become rich in their business is to actually get really strongly connected to the to the political so-called leaders in South Africa.
3: But here's the thing: what Branko suggests is that crime and politics aren't separate in South Africa, they go hand in hand. The criminal gangs destabilising ESCOM are out to enrich themselves, but destabilising the country is also a part of the plan. What better way to spread instability than by turning off the lights?
5: Their political goals are being achieved by proving that uh, President Ramaphosa's so-called reformist part of the ANC cannot deliver on the promises of continuous electrical supply. In February,
3: the Daily Maverick quoted an intelligence report that linked members of President Ramaphosa's government to criminal cartels operating inside ESCOM.
5: But it points out to existence of four different cartels, which are in a direct connection with the two senior ANC leaders. And um, it points out to a network of a couple of thousands of people who are making money in different ways.
3: The troubles at ESCOM are one illustration of what's gone wrong. But to see the full picture of corruption... The only phrase that seems fitting is the one South Africans use, state capture.
7: The term state capture came into usage in South Africa when we were seeking a more textured and nuanced understanding of the corruption we were experiencing. The term corruption felt trite to us, Um, to many people because it felt like an advanced form of corruption or grand corruption and that what had happened, in fact, was that the state had been captured and many institutions like our electricity utility, our rail utility, had been repurposed. Um, They had been repurposed by, by groups of people whom we even call mafia, who were extracting what now turns out to be billions of rands out of the system.
3: In 2013, an Indian family named the Guptas brought guests to a family wedding at the Sun City Resort. Nothing remarkable about that, except for the fact that their chartered jet landed at a military airbase. Then they were taken to their destination with a police escort to clear traffic. For South Africans, it showed that normal rules did not apply to the elite. The Gupta brothers... A.J., Atul and Rajesh, are engulfed in claims of massive corruption, involving billions of dollars in public contracts that ended up in Gupta-linked bank accounts. The looting allegedly happened in collusion with Jacob Zuma, who was South Africa's president from 2009 until he resigned in 2018. The Guptas and Zuma deny wrongdoing. Two of the brothers, Atul and Rajesh, were arrested in Dubai last year, but their current whereabouts are unknown. According to a commission led by South Africa's chief justice, Raymond Zondo, Zuma would do anything that the Guptas wanted him to do. Zuma refused to appear before Zondo's commission. After repeatedly ignoring summons to appear and criticising the judiciary, he was sentenced to 15 months in prison for contempt of court.
10: The old-timers left the left the scene with Mandela and, and after him. There's not been a kind of any particular faction that's been able to really control all the elements of the ANC, and you know, quite naturally organised crime and other interests smell opportunity within this, and there's a lot of kind of you know, grooming and things that can happen in that. You know, these businessmen can capture politicians quite early on. You know, they lend them money for a, you know to buy a car or to buy their house or or whatever, and then they just gradually reel them in and use their contacts to promote them through the system. And, you know, it's a kind of
3: a system that feeds on itself. This is where tackling climate change and dealing with corruption come together. Coal is centralised with fat profit margins and opportunities for the powerful to loot money. Generating power from sun and wind tends to be scattered, with smaller returns. It's much harder to skim money off.
9: There's very little explanation for the uh, very vociferous opposition to just starting the just energy transition. Why else would you so absolutely resist even the commencement of the transition? And I, and I raised this question to one of my Colleagues, And she says, uh, but Andre, you, you are naive. You are not showing the comrades a way to eat. And that was a very telling comment. And I think that that is the explanation uh, that there are so many vested interests in the coal value chain that the threat of decarbonization, even though we're talking about a multi-decade move, gradual, very gradual move away from coal, why that is so eagerly opposed and with, and with such vehemence.
3: André de Reuter stepped down from his role at ESCOM on February 22nd this year. He's refused to identify the government official he's linked to corruption. André de Reuter is now in hiding.
5: Uh, André de Reuter is now overseas in a safe place and uh, he will eventually be in South Africa, but uh, at, at the moment... Uh, he determines that he's safe, but uh, right now he is just not safe enough in South Africa, unfortunately. And that's, and that's just to give you an idea where you know what, what South Africa is turning into, unfortunately.
3: But as courageous as Andre Deraerdt is, this isn't the story of one man. It's the story of a country that's been completely failed by its political class. When the lights go out, it's those who can least afford it who are paying the price.
6: It's really slowing us down. Almost like there's weight that is tied around our waist. It's really frustrating, but we are not stopping.
3: So how much how much is it slowing you down? Do you think that you would already have opened your new branch if, if it was not for these problems?
6: Uh, if everything was uh, functional, like a functional country, we would already have three stores open, 100%. Three retail stores open Yeah.
3: One way to look at the history of coal in South Africa is to say it's the story of justice being served. The black workers who carved out the mines received little for their sweat. Now black investors earn a share of the rewards. But the truth is that South Africa is one of the most unequal countries in the world. The gap between black and white incomes has narrowed since the end of apartheid, but it's a small black elite that has become rich. What the story of ESCOM suggests about South Africa is that if De is right about this and the business is being ransacked by criminals, the country's best interests are being easily pushed into second place by private greed. For the world, it's a reminder that it's one thing to make lofty promises about cutting emissions and switching to clean energy. The reality is that it's hard to break the dominance of fossil fuels, especially when both politicians and criminal gangs are determined to keep things as they are. Thanks for listening. To access more of our journalism and invites to exclusive events, join Tortoise as a member. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash slowdown. This episode was written and reported by me, Jeevan Varsiger, and by Katie Gunning, who was also the producer. Sound design was by Hannah Varrell. The editor was Jasper Corbett.
0: That's stamps.com. Code program. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man.
2: Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.